just every now and then, not all the time. You're not like wicked with it or anything, but you're a show off every now and then. Well, I, uh, my husband, who's recovering from shoulder surgery, um, wanted me to share with him um, an exercise routine I do. It's called turbulence training. And it's rapid succession through planks, sit-ups, squats, push-ups, some short bursts of running, things like that. And it's a short workout, but it's pretty intense. And he wanted me to show him because he's recovering from this shoulder surgery, not yesterday, three months ago, so I'm not torturing him. <laughs> but um, it's something he can do because he travels. He can do it in his hotel room. He does, you don't need equipment or anything. You don't need to go to a gym or anything. And Anyway, so, well... When it comes to the silver-haired fox, I have to be a show-off. In fact, I have to do it better than him. So (laughs) I've been doing this workout for a while, but what I'm showing him, of course, I'm doing it like more intense than I've ever done it, right? (laughs) I'm having trouble walking, frankly. (laughs) I'm sore everywhere. So this was Saturday, and so (laughs) so then yesterday, before I came here last night, he goes, can we just do one of those again? Really? <laughs> you weren't sore enough yet? <laughs> so, I, so I did another one. Of course, I had to show off just a little bit more. And now I'm really in pain. So, <laughs> so I'm using the stool today <laughs> as I teach. Um, let's go back to that Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 10. This is the kind of the key verse for t- today. It's the only other time I'm going to reference it because there's so much else I want to get to today for you. But... Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 10. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land with streams of water, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And it's kind of our focus today about this good land he's giving you. And we're going to go back and look at some history of this actual land that God gave to the Israelites, but we're also going to look ahead and we're going to see that he has given us a spiritual land, a spiritual inheritance with the same promises, with exactly the same intent in our lives. So if you'll go to Exodus 13. Seventeen through eighteen. <coughs> what a cutie pie. When Pharaoh let his people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, The people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led them. He led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. One of the things that I love about God, that I'm continually learning about God, and we'll do this for the rest of our lives, is that he's got it all planned out. We just don't always know exactly what the plan is. So when he's leading us not directly to like, the, the, it was a pretty short distance to the land that God was taking the Israelites. But he knew that if they faced the Philistines, they weren't ready to be an army. 
And so he led them along the roundabout way, the long way, by the Red Sea so that they wouldn't face a battle that they weren't ready for. Well, don't you, like me, when God takes you on the long road, you're praying for something, and you're on your knees, and God, I really need you to come through. God, Rosie's question exactly, where are you? Where are? And he's taking you the long road. Don't you do exactly what the Israelites did over and over and over? Complain and whine and complain and get angry because, well, God knows you're not ready for the battle that's the short distance. He knows you need the long way around for some reason. And don't you love that he's got you in the palm of his hand, that he's already thought it all the way through? Can we give him that credit? He knows, and he's got you. He knows what you're ready for, knows what you're not ready for. So he takes you the long way around like he did the Israelites. It's challenging to know how often in my journey, when he's taking me the long way, it's challenging to know how often I complain exactly like the Israelites. Exactly like. So Exodus 14.10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? <laughs> you couldn't have buried us in Egypt? Like we had to come all the way out here to die? Does that sound like you? <laughs> God, you really had to take me out here in the middle of the wilderness? You couldn't have just killed me back there? Really? <laughs> Why are we doing this, God? And they're, they're really, they're on the banks of the Red Sea. And they see this army coming at them. I would feel exactly the same way. It would be terrifying. But God already had a plan. And, and he parts the sea them. He does miraculous signs in front of their very eyes and lets them all get across. And then as the army comes, we know that the Red Sea swallows them. Well, it also says a little further back that, that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. He had let them go. And then God hardened his heart and he changed his mind. He goes, no, 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 no. They're not getting away. Can you see this in a movie? Who says the Bible's boring? Can you, can you picture this on the movie screen? The bad guy's going, oh, no, no, no. They're not getting away. And they, he makes a plan to go get them now. Now he's, gonna, now he's really going to get them. And when I first read it, I'm like, God did that. I mean, that messes with your theology, doesn't it, a little bit? Doesn't it mess with you a little bit that God caused this to happen? But as you read it, and if you go back, to the whole process of the Exodus, Pharaoh had quite a few opportunities to know God. He had quite a few opportunities to understand who God was. He watched God say, if you don't let my people go today, I'm going to send a bunch of frogs, like everywhere. They're going to be everywhere. Or I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. Or there's going to be locusts. I mean, really, he had plenty of, I'm thinking Pharaoh's heart was fairly hard to begin with that he didn't see with all of the signs and wonders. He didn't see what God was doing, and he didn't see who God was. So the fact that it says God hardened his heart, yeah, he probably caused his, ch his mind to change because his plan was he's going to annihilate the entire army. 
It's not because I'm going to change my mind and now they're going to come after the Israelites. So there they are. I mean, they are destroyed. Now, 1431. <coughs> when Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. Finally, hello? <laughs> hello? I mean, did they not live through the same plague? Did they not live through all of that and watch what God did with the Egyptians? And it takes, God has to get really dramatic with us sometimes. Like, let me kill this, let me just part the sea so you can walk on dry ground. <laughs> and that's pretty awesome in itself, but it's not until the whole army is consumed by the Red Sea that they go, oh, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and isn't it so true? God has to get so, like, deliberate, but you know what? He does. He does. He did it with them. He's doing it with us because he's pursuing our hearts. It's our hearts he wants. He will get dramatic. He will do whatever he needs to do because he wants your heart. He's pursuing you. I want you to start thinking of God right now as the bridegroom that he is. And he is going after his bride. He is literally paving the way. It's a beautiful thing to watch this. God pursued their hearts with mercy and rescued them from captivity. God pursued their hearts with safety by defeating their enemies. He does the same with us. He pursues us with mercy. He rescues us from captivity. It's an absolute and total rescue. He is the knight on the white horse. If you think it's a frail thing to be the bride that needs to be rescued, think again. You are frail. You are. You are helpless. You are completely and totally helpless unless God rescues you. And he does. He rescues you. <coughs> so Deuteronomy 6 10 through 25. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, wells dug that you, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Worship him and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God is among you. He is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and wipe you off the face of the earth. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him in Massa. Carefully observe. The commands of the Lord your God, the decrees and statutes he has commanded you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, that you may prosper, so that you may enter and possess the good land the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers by driving out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has said. And when your son asks you in the future, what is this meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances which the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. 
we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt and Pharaoh and all his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land he swore to our fathers. The Lord commanded us to follow all of these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Their clothes in 40 years never wore out. Their shoes in 40 years never wore out. They had food every day, and they had water when they needed it. For 40 years, they lacked absolutely nothing. Now they're getting ready to enter the land. It's been 40 years. They're getting ready, and God is saying to them, don't forget, remember, tell, talk about these things so that you won't forget. Remember, not we, they didn't have this book. It was tell, talk, remember, tell your sons so they don't forget. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, <coughs> he says why he chose them. The Lord was devoted to you and chose you, not because you were num- numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all people, But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know that Yahweh, your God, is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for the thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commands. God just chose them because he loved them. There wasn't anything special about this people. It was God's sovereign choice that he chose a people for himself, and it just happened to be Israel. They were the fewest of all the peoples in the, in the land, in the world, and he, he just chose them because he loved them. And he had these promises for them. If they would just do what he asked, they would have, they would have everything he had for them. They are in the midst of God's grace mercy, rescue, provision, and plan for their lives, and they rebel at the very first opportunity. The very first opportunity they have is when Moses goes up, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he's receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments up on the mountain. And almost within a day, 24 hours, really, literally that soon, the people go to Aaron and say, give us a God to worship. Oh, it's not enough that he opened the Red Sea and he killed Pharaoh's army and he rescued us from captivity. We need something. Do we do that? Don't we do that? When he seems far away from us, don't we look for something immediately to worship? Okay, so it might not be idols. It might not be, it might not be a golden calf. But don't we immediately look for something that try, we try to satisfy We try to feed something. We do that. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's rebellion. And they did it the the first opportunity. Now let's go to Joshua. Joshua 1. 
God is about to have Israel enter the land. An entire generation of people has had to die because of their rebellion uh, to the Lord. They've had to die in order for the people now to actually possess the land. And the only two people who get to go in, not even Moses, remember? Moses doesn't even get to go in. Because Moses rebelled against the Lord. He disobeyed. And we read that and we think, well, that's really harsh. I mean, it was just the one time. This was a man who was leading millions of people and showing them who God was. That's all he got was one time. And he didn't get to go in. He got to see it. God showed it to him. He took him up on a hill and he said, there it is. There's the land. And I'm going to take the people in. You don't get to go. In fact, this entire generation has to die, except for Joshua and Caleb, who did what? They were the spies who went in and said, it's a good land. We can take it. Yeah, it's full of giants, no biggie. <laughs> but we can take it, and it's good. It's really good. Those two people got to lead a new generation in. So we're going to read Joshua 1, 3 through 9. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness to Lebanon to the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west of the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for I will distribute the land I swore to their fathers and give them as an inheritance above all. Be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my service Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This is the book of instruction. It must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There it is. The whole land. He just showed them the boundaries. It's all yours. I've given it to you. Remember, this is your bridegroom. I have given you this entire property, wife. The house is built. It's beautiful. The gardens are ripe with everything you could possibly imagine. You didn't have to plant it. You didn't have to work it. It's just there. That kitchen has every appliance known to mankind, and they all work. The dishes are lovely, and the pantry is full, and the refrigerator is stocked. Have a party. That's what the bridegroom has just done. They didn't have to do anything except what? Remember, talk, tell, and put their sole of their foot in every place in the land. Now remember, he has said, no one will be able to stand against you. Okay, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. They're going to have to go to war. But if you had to go to war knowing that the enemy is always going to be defeated... Always going to be defeated. Never be able to stand against you. Is that an encouragement that you could take going into that land and put your foot every place you could find? Well, not exactly. 
Because the truth is, we don't like to go to war. We like sitting in that pretty house and baking in that gorgeous kitchen and being out in that garden. We just really like that. So maybe, just maybe, I'll just keep the house with the property right around it. And maybe that's all I'll do. Let's just sit in that house. And God has promised a whole land, people. A whole land. You can conquer it. I will defeat everyone. The whole place can be yours. Invite your friends in. Hello. But we're just going to not do it? Yikes. Joshua 1.8. I'm going to read it again. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may be careful to observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. This was incredibly important. If you read all the way through Deuteronomy, it says, tell, tell your sons, tell your sons, tell them about, when they ask, tell them, tell them, tell them, recite it, day and night, tell, 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 tell. Why? So it won't be forgotten. We are not talking about the decrees, the statutes of the Lord. We have not lost an entire generation yet, but we're about to read that it happens. But we're close. And it's because we are not talking about it. My husband has always said, I will know that I have done the job of passing on the faith to the next generation when my children's children are praising the Lord. In the Bible, we have zero, almost zero examples of the faith being passed on beyond a first generation. The only example we have in the entire word, and this includes every hero we read about, David, Samuel, Isaac, Abraham, all of them. The only example we have is Timothy's mother and grandmother, some women who did what the Lord commanded and talked and told and recited and talked and told so it wouldn't be forgotten. And because of that, we have Timothy, a grandson. But you can go and read. Solomon doesn't even get to the first generation. David did a horrible job parenting. That's the man after God's own heart. It's a soap opera reading that man's children's lives. Seriously. And you really wish it would never be made, ever. I think it has, but you really are hoping. They never get a hold of that in Hollywood, and really. Because it's really awful. <clears throat> and that's his first generation. His first generation. Joshua 1.13. Remember that Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you a rest, and he will give you this land. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. Yeah, they're going to have to fight for it. Yeah, they're going to have to want it. But the fact that it's been entirely provided, all of it, the whole land, the entire land has been provided, is a rest. It's not an unknown. 
They know exactly what God has laid out for them, and they know exactly how he's provided for them. That's a rest, folks. It's a rest to know that you're not going to have to fight and scrap and scrape for every little thing. God provided it all. It's all there. That's a rest. That's what he's talking about. Let's turn to Judges 2, verse 10 and 11. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who didn't know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the bells and abandoned the Lord, their God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed to them and infuriated the Lord. One generation in one generation no one knows the Lord, and they're following after other gods. In one generation, one. That's you to your children. One. It's over. They don't, they don't even know God. And they're all doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. In one generation. If that's not an encouragement to talk about it, talk about it. And God's made it really easy. If you read Je uh, Deuteronomy 6, as you walk by the way, as you rise up, as you lie down, as you have dinner, as you have breakfast, as you drive to the sports field, as you go to the grocery store, as you are tucking them in at night, talk about these things. Tell them so that they won't remember. He made it really easy, and I know we don't think it's easy. We think we need to schedule like a 30-minute thing every night where we all have to sit down together. and re No, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. You know your kids talk more in the car than they talk anywhere else. Agreed? They can't get out, but they're also, it's also like, you, like you're not in their face or something. They're looking out the window or whatever, and they'll talk. And they are a captive audience, folks. Talk about these things. Talk about it. Don't let another generation go. Okay, Ephesians. Ephesians 1. <clears throat> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, for he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, he has favored us in the beloved. Folks, we have a new land. It's not a physical land. This is a spiritual land. And he has shown you the boundaries. And like that bridegroom, he has said, it's all yours. It's all yours. You might have to battle for it, but your enemies are going to fall. I'm already telling you, your enemies cannot stand up against you. But you're going to have to want it. You're going to have to set the sole of your foot in it. And every place you set the sole of your foot, it's yours. We have the same promise. But it's spiritual land. And we can take and we can have as much as we want. But we're going to have to want it. We're going to have to battle for it. And the battles aren't fun. Just yesterday, I learned of a friend of mine who lost her 30-year-old son. Instantaneously, heart failure. That's a test I don't want. 
That's a long road I don't want. But you know that you know that you know that God knows what he's doing. He has got her. He's got her son. And he has a plan. He sees the beginning. He sees the end from the beginning. And he knows exactly the road he has her on. And her job is going to be to battle the enemy for depression, to give up, to live in grief the rest of her life. She's going to have to set her foot in places of rest. She's going to have to set her foot in places of peace. She's going to have to set her foot in places of joy. She's going to have to take that land. And it's a battle. It's the same with all of us. I don't know what you're battling today. I don't know what, what bend in the road God has you on, but I want you to know that he's pursuing your heart. I want you, know to, want you to know today that your heart is on his mind. And he's got you in the palm of his hand. And I don't know what the road is, but he knows and he's designed it. He knows the enemies you'd have to face if he took you on a shorter road. And he knows that he doesn't want you battling that one. He wants you on this one. You have to know that it is by his design. It's not by happenstance or circumstance or the world. It's what he wants for you. And if it's hard, it's because he has your heart and you need to learn it. That's all I can say. It's a battle, but you've got to put your soul in the place of rest. You've got to put your soul in the place of peace. You've got to put your soul in the place of mercy and gladness and joy. One of the things that I learned about worry, because God has blessings for today, and just like that manna that he gave the folks of old, some of them tried to save it. They tried to hoard it for the next day. What happened? Spoiled. God has today for you. He has blessings for today for you. If you try to hoard that and save it for tomorrow. For 15, almost 20 years, I suffered with panic, attack, panic attacks and anxiety attacks. I was healed of them in October completely. And I had tried for years, but it's finally over. I set my foot in that place, and it's over. But do you know what I learned, and what grieved my heart is that I learned that worry is rebellion against God. Do you know why? Because he has today for me. He takes care of tomorrow. That's his business. It's not my business. And when I'm worrying about tomorrow, and I'm worrying about my health, or I'm worrying about this, that, and the other, that is rebellion against God because that's his job. He has today. I'm here today. I'm fine today. So today I take the blessing that is for today, and I put the sole of my foot in today, and I take that land. That's what he has for you today. It's his job to think about tomorrow and to make the plan for you and give you the blessing and whatever's ready for tomorrow. But today he's given it to you, just like the manna. And whatever bend in the road he's got you, He's pursuing your heart. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I, it is a comfort and it is a blessing to know, Lord, that you are pursuing us like a bridegroom, 
a blessed bridegroom, the perfect bridegroom. You know exactly what we need. You know exactly what our, the desires of our heart are, and Lord, you're providing. And that you've given us a land, and we just need to step our feet into it and take it. And that you've given a blessing for today, a knowing today that you are here, you have us, and whatever piece of the road that we're on today, you've designed it for today. Let us rest in that, Lord. Let us rest in the pursuit of our hearts that you've got us. In Jesus' name, amen.